Good morning. It's good to be together. My name's Tom, and I'm one of the leaders here at Hope. And if we haven't met before, uh, just really, really welcome uh, here at Hope Church. It's good to have you with us. Uh, I'm married to Sarah, who's currently serving uh, downstairs in the children's work. And we've got three children who are currently visiting their grandparents, which means uh, me and Sarah have got two days with no children. <clears throat> and do you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be painting our kitchen. <laughs> and I've also got a, a slot booked at the, the tip to take some stuff from the garden down there. So a very exciting time awaits us. Um, but great to be together this morning. We're going to be um, coming into land on a series in the Psalms that we've been going through for the last 10 weeks. Uh, we've been going through kind of randomly, although they have been thought through, but n- not kind of in order, as it were. We've been going through the Psalms. We've only done 10 of 150. So that means we've, we're only about uh, a 15th of the way through uh, the Psalms. So in the years to come, I'm sure we'll pick this up and go through this again in different Psalms. These songs, these poems, these prayers that we read uh, in the middle of the Bible that have been so helpful for us as we've uh, gone through them. Next week, we're going to have a standalone message, and then the following week on the 10th of September, we're going to start a new series in the book of Nehemiah, which I'm really excited about. We're going to be sharing some big things on the 10th of September as well uh, about the life of the church here, some good things, and we'd love you to be here for that. And then uh, on the evening of the 10th of September, we're going to have a prayer and vision night, uh, which is going to be uh, doors open at 7.30. We're going to kick off at 7.45 where we're going to pray into some of these big things. So please do register those things uh, in your minds, get them in your diaries, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Now, I don't know uh, if you, uh, if you maybe like me, maybe kind of mid-30s and onwards, if you have um, uh, moments from time to time in your life when you realize that you're not as young and as cool as you once were. Does anyone have those moments? Yeah, maybe some of you have had lots of those moments in your lifetime. <laughs> I had one of these moments about six months ago where um, Sarah and I were walking um, through a well-known clothes store in another city, and I looked at the mannequins in this clothes store, and uh, I thought, they have deliberately taken the most uncool clothes and put them on this mannequin. Like, it's got to be some sort of ironic art piece. It has to be. And uh, I, I took a picture of a couple of mannequins, and I put them on my Instagram. And I said, this surely cannot be the height of fashion. It cannot be. And, uh, and I just put one photo up with the word, really? Is this really uh, what, what fashion is these days? And little did I know, but that evening, as the youth group met, Kirsten, our youth leader, who's not here today, shared this with some of the young people and said, uh, Tom doesn't think that these clothes are cool. What do you guys think? And there was a discussion that basically these clothes were actually quite cool. And I was genuinely thinking they were some sort of ironic art piece. And then I realized, man, I am, I'm now out of touch. I'm no longer young and cool. Now, it's moments like that that happen that can make us think, I don't understand the next generation. You can make, it, make you think, I've got no way of relating to the next generation. I've got no way of impacting them because I just don't understand. I don't understand their fashion. I don't understand the music. I put it on for 20 seconds and I think, how on earth does that, can anyone listen to that without giving them a headache? How can that be possible? Uh, I don't understand the, the words they say. Why does, how does sick suddenly mean good? And, and these kinds of things. We can sometimes lament, I'm not as you know, young and relatable as I once was. And therefore, we can feel I have no part to play in reaching the next generation. Now, Psalm 145, which we're going to go through in just a moment, I hope will convince you 
that actually this is for all of us to play our part in when it comes to praising God to the next generation, when it comes to reaching the next generation. I don't know if you ever ask yourself, why am I still alive? Do you ever ask yourself that? Maybe you're not as kind of like uh, as weird as me, but I ask myself that sometimes. Why am I still alive? Why has God sustained me? Why has he kept me going? The Apostle Paul kind of asks that question in Philippians chapter 1. And he concludes that it's better to die and go and be with Jesus. That's, that would be really, really good. But actually to remain in the body, to remain in, on this earth means fruitful labor for him. Could it just be that the very reason you've been kept alive is because God is not finished with you when it comes to proclaiming him to the next generation? And that might mean to the young generation that's emerging or to the next generation down from your generation? Could it be that's the very reason that you're alive? Why he sustained you? So that there might be fruitful labor for you? Psalm 145, I think, is going to encourage us in that. So let's read that. I will exalt you, my God, the King. This is a psalm of King David. It's flowing with, uh, overflowing with praise in his heart. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you. And extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we need your help as we unpack your word this morning. Would you do a work in all of our hearts? Let not one person be unmoved by your word today. Help us, we pray. Amen. Now, I um, sometimes get a little bit of gentle mockery from those that know me well, because I'm quite enthusiastic. 
And sometimes I might have uh, eaten a meal and I might say something like, that was the best meal I've ever had. <laughs> Having said that maybe a week before as well. Or I might see a goal and say, that is probably the greatest goal I've ever seen. And you've got to see this goal. And I kind of get a bit of gentle poking from, from some friends who kind of say, here's Tom being overly enthusiastic again. Have you seen that movie? You've really got to go and see it. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Now, my middle name literally means enthusiastic one. So maybe it was kind of meant to be. But um, I, I kind of I think that this is what's going on here with David. In that, in that he's overflowing with praise for God. And he, he, he needs other people to know about God. He needs other people to uh, grasp hold of how good God is. And one of the greatest writers and thinkers of the last century, probably of all time, there's me being enthusiastic there, uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote something quite profound about this. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Do you understand that? It is, it is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. That's so profound. It's simple but profound. That enjoyment of something is not complete until it's shared. We don't fully enjoy it until other people know about it too. And last week, uh, my family and I, we were uh, on holiday in Cornwall and uh, we got to see the sunset over the sea and for the children, that was the first time seeing that. We don't get many uh, opportunities in the east of England to see the sunset over the sea. And uh, it was a beautiful moment. It was, oh, wow, I want to go back there. It was incredible. And as I looked around me, I saw people on their phones. Some were FaceTiming family to share the moment with their family. Some were posting onto Instagram their efforts at a sunset picture. People were desperate to share on what they were enjoying. There was something about the enjoyment of that moment that, that wasn't complete until it had been shared with others. And the amount of people I've shown uh, my sunset picture to this week, hey, have you, you've got to see this. It was beautiful. You, you have to, uh, to go and see it for yourself. Incredible. There's something about enjoying something that's not really completed until we've expressed it to others. And that's what's going on here in this psalm. And in the New, the New King James Version um, of, of Psalm 145, in verse 4, it says this, One generation will praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It's, it's not just a, a sort of passionless commending, or you should really know God. It's not a classroom kind of like information sharing thing. This is a zealous, passionate thing of someone praising God to the other. This is, this is what's in mind here. Do you get that? It's not a, a kind of like, well, we need to tell you some facts about God. It's out of the enjoyment of God, others have to know. Others have to be brought into this too. The delight in God is it's not complete until it's expressed to others. It's not complete until others understand and the next generation understand how good God is. And so today I want to talk about praising God to the next generation and I really have four convictions I want to share with you about what I think it's going to need for us to do this and to do it well. And I don't want anyone to zone out here thinking, okay, I'm too old for this or I'm too young for this. 
So it's great to have our year nines and over in with us this morning. This is for you as much as it is for someone who's 85. Because actually we each have a generation coming up behind us that we might praise God to, that we might declare God's goodness to. So this is for all of us. And I want to share four convictions with you. The first is this, that we need to be convicted of, we need to be convinced of the desperation of the situation. Right now in in the UK and in the West more generally, there's been a a huge decline in uh, people who profess faith in Jesus and in church attendance. And beyond that picture, there's been a, there has been a, a leaving behind of some really ancient foundations that uh, our country and other Western nations have been built upon uh, for centuries. Some big foundations about God and who God is, about how this all came to exist, about who we are ultimately as human beings. Big foundations have been left behind. And into the void, where those foundations are now no longer there, all kinds of other ideologies and uh, ideas have crept in. And really, we are in a very, very confused society. We don't need to look very far to see that confusion that is absolutely rife. Increasingly, and it's not just amongst a younger generation, but increasingly, anxiety and depression are are a big deal whereby there's a huge amount of anxiety about what's going to happen in the future. What do people think of me? There's a, a, a lacking of a security in actually God's opinion being the most important opinion. A big uh, feeling of depression, of emptiness, because actually life devoid of meaning, aside from knowing God. Life is really quite meaningless. There's a, there's a pursuit of, I want to get more and more stuff, because actually capitalism is kind of running rife, and it's selling us this vision that if you get more and more stuff, then you're going to be more and more happy. We've got a number of, of, of young men and women um, getting body image issues because of uh, spending a lot of time seeing airbrushed models on screens who have maybe had four hours in a makeup studio before going on the screen, or maybe have had uh, money to alter their body in different ways in order to look a certain way. And young women looking at these and thinking, I don't, I don't fit the bill, I'm not good enough. Young men, increasingly this is an issue for, looking at images and thinking, I can't, I'm not stacked like that guy, I can't be like him who spends all of his time uh, having protein shakes and in the gym, I can't keep up with that. Increasingly gender dysphoria is a, is a big problem whereby people feel that they're trapped in the wrong body somehow. Devoid of a foundation that says, no, you are the way that God has made you. Devoid of a foundation that says, God has made you well, and he's made no mistake. This is, this is increasingly a problem. And it's not just gender. I, I read an article recently, and I thought it was one of these shock headlines that um, just tries to get clicks. You know, it was about children increasingly identifying as animals in schools. And um, I read the article, and it was clear that it was in a number of different schools. And I, I posted it on, on, my, on my Facebook page. And um, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't asking for this. But a, a friend of mine got in touch with me who's in a primary school in, in another county. And she said, it is rife in my school and in other schools in my county where children are insisting that they be referred to as a cat or as a dog. And um, there's all kind, and, and because there's no foundation to say, no, you are a boy or you are a girl made in God's image, 
um, there's no real way of saying no, because who's to say otherwise? So there's, there's some big confusion, because foundations have been taken out. There's increasingly um, young women um, devastated by the effects of pornography, because they are being forced to do things that their boyfriends are watching online. The BBC article, I, I wrote down the facts, the BBC article very recently said that 25% of all 16-year-olds first watch pornography in primary school. So that's the age of 9 or 10. And then by the age of 18, 79% of children have seen violent pornography. It's not good, is it? It's not good. And there's young women who feel, I've got to act a certain way in order to keep my boyfriend interested. And there's young men who are completely confused as to what masculinity is all about. Some being told, well, you know, masculinity full stop is wrong. <laughs> and you should be ashamed of yourself of being a boy. And then there's really ugly versions of masculinity being held up by people like Andrew Tate, who millions of boys are following after. Because he's trying to define what manhood is. He's just very misguided. So there were some big problems. And friends, I want us to understand the situation is really desperate. It might have been the case that 49% of people in our nation identify as Christian in the last census, but the reality is a lot more grim than that. 5% of people in this nation go to church on a regular basis. I know that church attendance isn't everything. There's dear friends of mine who are not able to be here because of uh, ill health, and that's just a long-term thing. I, I, but it's not the whole picture, but it's a real indicator to us that maybe 5 to 7% of people in this nation really have a living and active faith in Jesus. So for millions of children and teenagers growing up in this foundationless society, they're also growing up with no faith in the family and likely no contacts with anyone who has faith. So going into this very confusing world with no hope, no foundation, no sense of meaning and purpose, it's a desperate situation. And to pretend otherwise is foolishness. We've got to face up to the situation that our young people are facing. And even within the church, young people have got to deal with the fact that they are under immense pressure to conform in a world that's going in the opposite direction. And then within the church, there's barriers as well, where sometimes we're the next generation up are hip hypocritical in different ways. We let people down. There's all sorts of things to work through, hurts and all that kind of stuff. It's tough. It's really tough. And so, friends, if we're going to be those that praise God to the next generation, we firstly, we need to face up to something that is staring us in the face. It really is desperate. I've touched on just a few things. There's so much more I could have touched upon. It's desperate. The second conviction we, we need to have is that we all have a part to play in this. We all have a part to play in this. As I said already, whether you are 85 <clears throat> or whether you're 15, we've got a part to play in this. We are aiming in this church to see Jesus loving, Jesus centered, Jesus obeying children coming through. We want to see that. 
And that might sound like a cult to some people. I do not care. Because the reality is in, in the world beyond these four walls, that it's not some sort of void whereby children are not discipled in some way. They are discipled in some ways. They're being raised in a, a materialistic worldview that says, go and get more stuff, go and have more sexual experiences, just do you, doesn't matter what the consequences are, just go after your own heart. They're being raised in some different ways. So it's not the case of, well, it's just, just the church that want to raise children in a certain way. We want to see Jesus-centered, Jesus-loving, Jesus-obeying children, young people, young adults raised up in this church. We want to see that. That's our heart's desire. That's our goal. And if we don't praise him to the next generation, if this is not our beating heart as a church, not just a few people who've got a passion for this, if this is not our beating heart as a church, then the next generation will be discipled. They'll just be discipled in completely different values. Completely different ways. Parents have a particular, uh, a key role to play in this. We must not abdicate our responsibility to children's workers and youth workers. I praise God for our teams that are serving the next generation. We've got some absolutely phenomenal people who are serving week in, week out, some of them. Many of them serving monthly to to. to Praise God to the next generation. I'm so grateful for them. But parents, we must not abdicate our responsibility. This is primarily our responsibility. It's primarily our joy to proclaim God to them, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. It's not something we can abdicate. I was at the pub a few months ago with a friend watching a football match, and a friend of his from another church happened to walk in. And uh, and his friend came and sat with us, <clears throat> and as we were just watching this game, and I was actually, I had a week off, so I was feeling quite chilled out. I didn't want to hear all of this, but he started to complain about his church and the way in which the youth worker wasn't doing enough, basically. Oh, he's not doing enough to do this, this, and this. And he was full of complaint throughout the night, and I was like, I'm not, don't get involved, Tom, just watch the football match. But I said to my friend after the match, I said, you need to say to him, you need to appeal to him that it is not primarily the youth worker's responsibility to raise your child in the ways of God. It is your responsibility. It's your privilege. It's your joy. And yes, the youth leader is going to be brilliant and support in that, but this is your responsibility. Parents, we need to grasp this in our hearts. We have to uh, have this conviction. We want to see God proclaim to them. Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And he said, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He kind of got two in one there. But what he's quoting from there is Deuteronomy 6, which is a prayer that would have been prayed and recited by Jewish people, and still is to this day, called the Shema. And you can read it, Deuteronomy 6, where it says this, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's going on here is that there was a desire in the hearts of the people of Israel to pass this on to the next generation. And there was a diligence about this. 
It wasn't something that was just, it just happened uh, kind of uh, in passing. There was a diligence about this, a setting out, an intentionality to say, I am going to raise my child to know and understand the things of God. I'm going to pass on to them. This was something that was so important, so key. It wasn't just a kind of, well, let's just see what happens. We'll try our best, but actually, ultimately, they'll make their own call on these things. There was a diligence about this. And this is what is to be our hearts, to say, I'm going to bring my children to church, and they're going to hear and celebrate the gospel with us. I want them to hear it. It's ironic. My children are not here today. But 45 times out of 50 in a year, they'll be here. Because we want our children to understand that God is number one in our lives. That going to church is the big rock in the bucket, actually, that other things have to find their way around. We're not centering our lives around their activities. But we're saying, God, you're number one. We come to praise you. And I, I need this, okay? I don't come to this because it's my job. I need this. I need to be in worship as we have this morning, enjoying the gospel, reminding my heart of the grace of God, celebrating the grace of God, praying for others, being prayed for. I need this. My children need this. They need to be in relationship and friendship with others their age who know uh, the things of God and who are growing up into these things. They need it. And it's increasingly the case now that children, we know this to be the case here at Hope, that often children might come one in every eight weeks. That's kind of a pattern in some, in quite a few families actually. And that's not, I'm not taking a dig at anyone here, but just understand this, that when they come to 18, 19, 20, making their own decisions for themselves, it should not be a surprise to you that they don't prioritize going to church if you haven't done in their upbringing. Don't be like, what's happening? They don't want to go to church. If you see it as optional, if you see it as a, I'll go if there's not something else going on that I want to do more, then it's, it's not going to be a surprise if they don't see it as a priority. It shouldn't be a surprise to a child to hear, we're going to church today. Oh, okay. This should be like, we're going to church because this is, this is who we are. We're the people of God. We praise him. So parents, we have a responsibility in this. And as Esme said at the beginning, there's, there's, there's a reason why we have children in for the first 20 minutes. It's not like a convenience thing of like, otherwise, you know, the kids' workers will be too tired. No, no, there's quite a reason for it. We want them to enjoy worshipping with us, and they'll take in much more than you know. Much, much more than you know. And the lyrics of the songs, the testimonies that are brought through, the passion that they see amongst people of different generations and races, they'll see it. They'll see it, and they'll, it'll impact them. They won't be able to shake that off. People going for it in worship is such an important thing. So it's important. I know, again, we're noticing, again, that some people are saying, we're going to bring our children for when the kids' group start, so they don't have to come up here. Listen, this is so important. This, This context is really important. So bring them along. Let's orientate our lives around God's kingdom and God's ways. I was watching a program with my kids the other day, and um, it was about this. It was about gymnasts, and um, some parents had moved three miles across the country to be nearer to a better gym for their child, who's 12, and they've got high hopes that he might become a, a really good gymnast one day. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? They moved their whole family to get this kid to a better gym so that it can be a better gymnast, and that that strikes me. 
because there's some commitment there to something because they really think it's important. And I, I just want to gently push on this and say, are we seeing getting our children along to an environment like this as really important? Some parents are committed. They want to move their child three hours across the country to be a better gymnast. Is it our heart that we are desperately hungry to see our young people, our children raised in the things of God? That's my heart. I want it to be all of our hearts. So we've all got a part to play in this. Thirdly, the gospel is still the answer. The gospel is still the answer. I've painted a quite a bleak picture this morning. I'm sorry if you were hoping to come and be cheered up this morning. Uh, It's been a bleak picture, but the gospel is still the answer. The answer to all these problems that I've outlined and the many more that exist is not um, better politicians. It's not better policies. The answer is not... Uh, better education or better job prospects or uh, more money. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. The answer for a confused and foundationless generation that is without hope, without meaning, that is being sold a pack of lies, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God leading to salvation for all who believe. It's, there's a power in the message of the gospel, in this message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life, that this one and only son came into this earth, that he lived the perfect life, that he never put a foot wrong, that he perfectly honoured God with every thought and action and deed, and then he died a horrific death on the cross punished for our transgressions on there in our place so that we might be forgiven, that we might be cleansed, so that we might say, I am in Christ. I am clothed in his righteousness. I will one day see him in glory. I will one day be with him forever. This gospel is still powerful to change lives. It's still powerful to change hearts. It's still powerful to change communities. It's still powerful to change schools. It's still powerful to change nations. The gospel is the power of God. This good news, it sounds foolish. It sounds ridiculous, but it's power to change. It's power to transform. It's still the answer. It's not a new message for a new generation. It's not, well, we need to tweak it so it sounds a bit more kind of, I don't know, psychological around our felt needs. No, 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 no. It is the message that meets our greatest need to be put right with God, to be brought back into relationship with our creator who loves us. And it's as this is taken to heart, as it's built upon, this is what leads to steadiness. This is what leads to wise living, This is what leads to life with purpose. This is what leads to life with hope. The gospel is still the answer. So our hope is not in other things. But we need to be convinced that it is the gospel that we must proclaim. It's not a lot of the sound bites that we hear today. That, you know, you are enough or whatever else it might be. It's not... It's not other little sound bites that sound kind of nice. It's the gospel that needs to be heard and received and proclaimed by all of us. It's not mere information sharing. It's got to be something that we are delighted by. And sometimes we can go a little bit stale, can't we? Sometimes we can kind of lose the wonder of it all. Sometimes we can uh, be 
ran dry of the, oh, the glorying in it that makes people who are glorying in a beautiful sunset want to share it with others, we can kind of run a little stale and think, I just, oh, yeah, I will share it, but it's kind of like information sharing because I kind of feel duty-bound to do it. If that's you, I want to pray for us in just a moment when we finish that, that God would, would once again blow upon the embers of your heart that this would be something that you delight in once again, that you, it's a delight to share with others because the enjoyment would not be complete unless others hear about it. Your gospel proclaiming will have power when you are enjoying the gospel for yourself, when you are so enamored with what God has done for you, when you're so in awe of the incredible lengths he went to to win you, then your gospel sharing, your gospel proclaiming with others will have power. Because they will see this is not just some kind of thing that you recite in your mind to make you feel better about life, but actually something that has completely, radically turned you around and transformed you. No one can dispute your testimony. So what has God done in your life? I was really helped recently. We had uh, in our life group leaders evening about four or five months ago, we had Emma Roche and Luke Howard do some training with us about how to share your faith. And they encouraged us to come up with a 15-second testimony, a 15-second story that went a little like this. I was once, and you have to fill in the blank, and then I came to know Jesus, and now I am, you fill in the blank. Very simple. What is your story? You'll have opportunity, I'm sure, to do more than 15 seconds. But what has God done in your life? How has he transformed you? How has he saved you? How has he turned your life around? Your testimony has power. So whether you're 85 and you think, I've got nothing to give to the generation below me because I don't get them or they don't get me, your testimony has power. This is why it's so important that young people are in a multi-generational church because testimonies really have power. Can't dispute that can't dispute it when someone's saying, no, no, this was my life, and then God did this. It doesn't have to be that you were kind of raised by a pack of wolves, and then you've suddenly had a shining light kind of in the middle of the night. It doesn't have to be that. But it, God has done something in your life. What has he done? What do others need to hear so that you can share what he's done? Let's be those that share and proclaim the gospel. Let's be those that put our children and young people in the way of hearing the gospel. My uh, my. Uh, oldest two children are going to be going to youth next week and going into, the, into, the, into a new era, I suppose, into high school and so on. And next year, they'll be able to go to New Day for the first time uh, as delegates. And um, I know that for the next 10 years, whatever money we have and whatever ability we have to go on other holidays, New Day is going in as a rock in the bucket. I'm getting my children there because I know they're going to hear the gospel. I know they're going to see the power of God at work. And so they're going, to go and worship God with thousands of others. That's going to happen. Whether we have the ability to go elsewhere, that, that is going down as a rock in the bucket. I want to put my children in the way of hearing the gospel. Maybe grandparents here, you might think, yeah, I just know my, my children are struggling financially. Why don't you help them to pay for these kinds of things? To say, look, I'm going to help them. I, we, want to get them to, we want to get them there or to other things like that. There's, we want to get our children in the way of the gospel. Let's be those that live lives centered on this good news. Let's sing of this good news. I don't mind getting a bit emotional when I'm worshiping God in the car. We're on a long journey to Cornwall, and there were some songs we were listening to 
where I was just like, I was going for it in worship. And I don't care if my children see me cry because I, I need them to see that I, I love God. Yeah. And we listened to some other things as well, but it wasn't all worship music. But when we're worshiping God, I, I'm moved sometimes. I can't help but be moved. And it's okay. I don't care if they think that's a bit embarrassing. I'd, I'd rather they, they saw that I, this is something that deeply moves me. Own when you fail. <laughs> when we live life centered on the gospel, when, we're, when we believe that the gospel is still the power of God to salvation, own when you fail. Parents, grandparents, those that have influence in the next generation, own when you fail. The gospel frees us to do that. Because we don't have to kind of be self-righteous. It's those, those people who are defensive, okay, when challenged about having done something wrong, people who are defensive aren't rejoicing loads in the gospel. Actually, the gospel frees us to say, actually, was I? Yeah, I probably was at wrong there, actually. I'm really sorry. I get things wrong sometimes. That's a really important thing. If we're just defensive all the time, well, it's because you were doing this. It's because you were fighting back at me. That's why I said what I said. Well, actually, that's a self-defensive kind of self-righteousness thing, isn't it? Be those that are centered on this good news. Final thing. Prayer is vital. Final conviction, prayer is vital. Listen, we are always going to make the next generation a priority at this, at this church. We're always going to do that. In our prayers, in where we put our resources, we're, we're always going to do that. I hope that thrills your heart. I hope that you're not like, well, I'd rather go into other things. No, we're always going to make it a priority here. We want to see the next generation emerging and thriving and for some of this tide to be turned. We want to see that. We're always going to make it a priority in our prayer times. We're going to pray on the 10th of September. Some of the things we'll be praying into, we'll be praying into the next generation. It's going to be a big priority for us because it's God's heart, friends. So when we're praying for young people in our lives, when we're praying for those that are in the generations below us, this is God's heart. Okay, There's a couple of times in the Gospels where Jesus gets angry. One of them you'll know well. It's when he goes into the temple and they've turned it into a supermarket and he's really cross. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And he turns over the tables. The other time is when the disciples stop the children coming to him. Jesus is really angered by that. He, the, the disciples kind of get this idea, well, they're not really important enough to speak to you, Jesus. They're not really, you know... Maybe these other people are a bit more important. Jesus is like, let them come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. There's something in his heart for the next generation that he's really passionate about. So when we pray, friends, we're praying in line with God's heart. When we pray for this next generation, we're praying in line with God's heart. Verse 13 of that psalm we see, it says, this is going to go on generation after generation. It's a, it's a done deal. Okay, there's God's kingdom, having shared all that I shared earlier about the things that are are hard and devastating right now. God's kingdom is going to go on. It's going to go on increasing. He's never been kind of concerned, I think it's all going to come to an end. All this, you know, it's been a good few millennia, but now maybe it's going to come to an end. No, 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 he's not, not concerned in that regard. We'll go to generation to generation. We can pray in confidence that it will keep going on. But we've, we know we've got a king on the throne who has seen things come and go. He's seen trends rise and fall. He's seen teachings and ideologies rise and fall. He knows. I love it when Jesus 
teaches this lesson to Peter on a couple of occasions, that Peter's fishing all night. He's in his own strength, trying to work out where the fish are, and Jesus is like, they're over there. There's something profound there. He's teaching Peter, like, you've got to rely on me. I know the direction of these groups of fish. I know the direction of these whole societies. I know what they're putting their confidence in. I know what they're, the false things that they're trusting in. I know the things that they're getting tangled up in. I know. Come to me. Come to me. Ask me. Friends, might we be a church that prays sincerely for this next generation, knowing that there's a God who is not surprised and he's not concerned that everything's just going to suddenly end, but has a plan, has a heart. But we've got to call upon him. We've got to, we've got to say, God, come and move. We've got, to, we've got to take a hold of him in faith and cry out to him. Let us be a prayerful people. There's more change on the way if we think it's kind of stopping in kind of the changes that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years. We are naive. There's more change on the way. All the more opportunity to show that there is a firm foundation upon which we build our lives. What a glorious opportunity. What a glorious opportunity, young people here. Those of you in your teens and 20s. What a glorious opportunity to say, I'm standing on something that's firm and unshaking. Because there's more change on the way. Stuff that we think is ridiculous now is going to pale compared to the things that are going to come. But the light's going to shine brighter. The light of the gospel, the light of foundation in God is going to shine brighter. Let's be a prayerful people. Listen, friends, if we're praying people, God will show up in our homes. He will. If we're a prayerful people, God will show up in the lives of our young people. He will. We've seen it. We've seen it over the years. God's doing an extraordinary thing. In our, in our youth group and in our, uh, those in, our, in their 20s, God's doing extraordinary things. There's more to come. Let us be those that pray. Should we stand together? There's four, um, there's four kind of types of people that I guess that I want to just ask to respond now. If the band could come and be ready to lead us in a song, we will have time for a song. Those that have gone stale, just know I've just lost the passion I once had. There's those first group. There's some that have given up. When it's come to parenting, raising children, teenagers, you just feel like, I've given up because I seem to have no sway. That's the second group. Third group is those that are in fear. I, want, I feel stirred by today. I feel stirred by this psalm to, to proclaim and praise God to the next generation, but I'm in fear because what if I look stupid? What if people don't want to know me? What if I've got no way of kind of relating and there's, there's, there's four of those who have kind of been carrying this in their hearts for some time. And God wants just to blow on it again and say, come on, let's go again. There's a, there's a fresh commissioning for you. So as we pray now, if you're one of those four groups, you've gone stale, you've, maybe you're someone who's wanting to give up. I don't want to keep bringing my children along to something they want to be at. Maybe it's you're in fear. Or maybe that this has been on your heart for years and God's just going to blow on it again. I trust God's going to move now, even as I pray. And we're going to sing and Tim and Esme will, will, will wrap things up. Let's, let's, let's just come before God. Father, we want to be those that delight in you and all you've done for us. We want to be those that are thrilled 
that we might praise you to the next generation. So I want to just pray for anyone here right now who's gone stale, maybe once has blown hot. I pray you just come now. Bring your refreshing to them. Come and, Lord, even as we sing and as, even as we go into this week, delight them afresh with who you are. Delight them afresh with all that you've done. Lord, for any parents here who've kind of given up, just feel like I can't, I can't keep, I can't keep on in this way. I just pray, Lord, right now you would come and give them great wisdom and come and give them faith afresh. Lord, would you do that, impart that to them now? For anyone who's feeling stirred, Father, and who is in fear. Anyone who's in fear right now. I, I, I feel like God's put a burden on my heart to proclaim him to the generation behind me or to even generations below. Just pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit now. That they might know your courage, might know your power that you might dispel lies. And finally, for those that have been running with this for, maybe for even for decades in some instances, with a heart for the next generation, I pray, Lord God, that you would blow upon them now. Again, encourage them deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we take a moment to pray for, we've got a, a big shift this week. Some kids are going to be going to high school next week for the first time. Some are going to primary school for the first time. Some are stepping up into sixth form. Some are heading off to university. It's quite a big shift. Um, I wonder if we together, as God's people, might pray for our next generation. Uh, lift our voices together. Um, so I'm going to be doing that, and I really, really long to hear a, a hubbub of prayer around the room. If you're not a Christian here, just take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to think of the things that you've heard today. But we're going to pray. Let's do that. Father, we ask you that you would come and move in the lives of our children and our youth, Lord, and our young adults. Lord, I pray you'd give them courage. I pray, Lord God, that each one would... Uh, would come to know you, Lord, would come to walk with you for the rest of their lives. We pray, Lord God, for your wisdom for them. Help them to choose wisely. Help them to resist the temptations uh, that they will face. I pray, Lord God, we'd see a mighty generation rising up. I pray, Lord God, we'd see an incredible work, Lord, amongst those that are right now downstairs in the children's group, those that are in our youth. I pray, Lord God, we'd do an incredible and mighty work, Lord God. Would you move in great power? Would you stir us to be a church of prayer? Stir us to be a church that longs to see your kingdom come amongst the next generation. In Jesus' name. Let's keep praying. Let's worship God. Let's keep praying.